You seek the key, but first you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system, up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant, with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Okay, let's do some quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. That's obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. To reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. Here's the thing. Information is power. Information is money. Literally, the currency of today's world of, of entrepreneurship is information. And if you could bring all of the, your, the information about your business into one dashboard, this is incredibly valuable. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of the truth about your business. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all of your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. This is so valuable. You just hit a button and you can see all the information about your business instead of having to like call five different departments and get all these emails and put it all together and make sense of it. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Backed by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash james. netsuite.com slash james. netsuite.com slash james. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show. Today on the James Altucher Show. On this episode of, I don't know what to call this, James's Q&A. Maybe, you know, send me a message and tell me what I should call this series of podcasts. But anyway, on this episode, more frame control techniques. Those are powerful persuasion techniques. I write about it in my next book, and I just think these are incredibly, incredibly important skills to learn in this new environment, which I'm calling the Great Reset. Everything's reset. You need the skills to survive and thrive. Then I answer some questions. What's a reliable news source that's out there? And there's a, I have a, maybe a different take on that. Should you do a podcast? And if so, how should you think about it? Is classical music racist? This was actually the BS headline of the day. Please text me questions or topics you want to hear more about. I'm at 203-590-8607. That's 203-590-8607. Enjoy. Welcome to 
the latest Q&A. Robin, how are you doing? I'm good. So you went out this morning, um, the kids arrived yesterday, you went out and took them out, took them eight o'clock this paddle morning. boarding or what are they, what were they doing paddle, on the ocean? Paddle boarding. Yeah. Did they have fun? Oh yeah. So paddle boarding is that like big surfboard that you could stand on mm -hmm. and you have a paddle. How do you not fall? Like, well, usually they're pretty wide and mm -hmm. they're large, so it's easy. It's not like you're on a narrow board. Like All right. I think I'd like to go, um, yeah, in a year it. or two. <laughs> and, and they were uh, also in the newspaper. They 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 took pictures of them out there. So now before noon, hey, they're in the newspaper. By the way, oh, you did not listen. I'm not listening to you because I just got an email this second that uh, gonna find. It looks like I'm moving closer to. It looks like uh, they Humanity Forward, which is Andrew Yang's organization, mm -hmm. wants to talk to me about having. Andrew Yang on the podcast. Maybe we can get him on one of these Instagram lives as well. Wow. So That's finally, awesome. hashtag Yang Gang going to work. Um, anyway, how's everybody doing in the Q&A? And uh, I'll start answering <laughs> questions. Uh, Jay should be on. So or, or text questions. You can text questions directly to me on my phone. 203-590-8602. Text me questions or topics. Happy to talk about any topics. Robin, people missed you yesterday. I think I they know. were tired of just, weird. people listen to me and look at you. <laughs> and I think they were well, tired of looking at me. They listened to me too. They listened to you too, I'm, I, that was rude of me. <laughs> so, it's true. But, you know. I did, I missed everybody. If you listened to the, um, the podcast yesterday, I talked a little bit, or the Q&A yesterday, I talked a little bit about persuasion techniques. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I talked about some techniques I'm mentioning in my upcoming book, but that's eight yeah. months away, so might as well talk about them now. And I talked about this idea of frame control and two yeah. frame control techniques. And one one important frame control technique is to, and actually I didn't mention this yesterday, but do not try to convince anyone of anything. Mm -hmm. So if, um, if I say, uh, to you something like, uh, well, you're, you know, you're so bad at cooking. And if you say, no, I'm good at cooking. You liked my mm -hmm. cooking. Mm -hmm. Then you implicitly by try by defending yourself and trying to convince me that you're good at cooking, mm -hmm. you, uh, my persuasion technique worked. Like you're trying, you give me status implicitly by trying to convince me of something. Yeah, well, when you say that to me, I say no. <laughs> Which is, by the way, so e even better. <laughs> that that actually keeps gives you the frame when you say I know. Like you, well, you're telling me nothing I don't know. So uh, that establishes. So it's sort of like there's actually another. So I'll talk about another um, frame control technique, which is uh, called pick and choose. Mm. So basically, someone. Um, is maybe doing a couple things simultaneously to manipulate a response from you. Mm -hmm. And you could pick and choose which of, you know, you don't have to fall completely under the person's frame. You can take the frame back by picking and choosing what you're responding to. So I, I saw this video where some, I, I, some singer uh, is with Steve Harvey, the comedian mm -hmm. and talk show host or whatever. And she, uh, she starts laughing at him and she's like, oh, 
You're, you're so stupid. You can't even say Ariana, right? And she's laughing. It's, it's Ariana or some, something yeah. like that. And he looks away from her and he says, I was that I was backstage and I said Ariana in the clip. And then they said, they, they told me to say it this other way. And I said it this other way. And that's the one they use. It's not on me. And so he picked and chose. What, what I mean is he didn't laugh. She was laughing and kind of making mm -hmm. fun of him. He did not laugh. He just explained logically what happened. Yeah. So he didn't accept blame and he didn't laugh. He didn't do any of the things she was trying to do. He just explained what happened. And then she actually then, oh, I'm sorry, I owe you an apology. So he had taken the frame that way. And, um, and then he used another important frame control technique, which is he de-escalated her frame. So she's, she, her first thing, you know, accused him of basically being kind of either naive or not culturally savvy because he pronounced her name wrong. Wow. And, and so then right after he said that thing about where, where then she apologized, he then said, but trust me, I'm going to mess up a lot more names. Uh, in the next uh -huh. hour. So he used humor and, and instantly de-escalates de yeah, yeah. the frame. Cause what is, so then the audience is laughing. Right. He's completely got the frame now. Right. So these are helpful, uh, uh, persuasion techniques, frame control techniques. How can you use this in practice? So, um, huh, let's cool. say you're asking your boss for a raise and he's like, um, Let's say I'm just making this up. I have no idea. He, he's he. Let's say he reaches in his pocket. This happened to me once. My, I asked the boss for a raise, and he reached in his pocket, found like a five dollar bill, and he's like, "Here, how's that?" And then you can say, "Oh my gosh, that was more than I was expecting." From you, I was expecting a three dollar bill. Yeah. And so, you know, yeah. three dollar. You know, people have expression queer as a three dollar bill. Oh, okay. So, so I'm using humor and. Right. Uh, uh, that throws the de-escalates right. the frame It actually gives me the frame because I'm kind of, uh, you know, not quite insulting him because you can't say that, that's not an insult, but I'm but sort of questioning less. his sexuality. Right, right. And, uh, he, if he responds like, I'm not, you know, you'll have, you know, I'm not gay or I'm straight or whatever, then suddenly he's defending himself and you're further in control of the frame. And then you could joke yes. even further by saying, actually, I was thinking of a, a of making whatever your salary is plus one dollar. So now you're using humor again and you're anchoring, you're using anchor bias to anchor some number really high. Wow. And then you can say, but no, seriously, blah, blah, blah. And then yeah. go into your other techniques. So pick and choose and humor are important techniques. Another important technique, I'll give one other technique is ignore. So if you were to come up to me and say, uh, uh, you know, and I would never do this, but you would, you would, you could say, why don't you ever clean your dishes? And I could say something like, oh, I read this really interesting article in the news today. Uh, I, 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 you should take a look at it. And so I completely ignored what you just said. Uh -huh. And now you have a choice. You could say, are you ignoring me? Or you could say, oh, what was the article? Now I've got the frame. <laughs> so uh, it's sort of like this, just in the beginning when I said the kids were on the news. Yeah. And then what did you, what did I say? I forget. Uh, you ignored me. I did. Yeah. Oh like, yeah. Cause I, cause I actually got distracted. <laughs> so I wasn't trying to see. Some, <laughs> mo know. By the way, most of the time, this is a very important I'm thing. Teasing it to you anyway. This is a very important thing in persuasion, by the way, is that there's something called frame fatigue. Like if I'm constantly trying to persuade you, right, right. then you'll get like, Ugh. all of a sudden you'll, you, you know, if you constantly let me 
take the frame or in any case, in any situation, if one person is constantly taking the frame over another, the other is going to get frame fatigue and eventually the, the, the person who's constantly being persuaded right. will get sick of it and will say, hey, Oh, I'm kind of sick too. of this. They'll be on to it too, so. Maybe they will be. Like, I remember one time I was in a relationship and I think I was constantly losing the frame throughout. I think I was insecure and I was constantly trying to please the other person. So if she said, you know, why did you do this? I would defend myself. Mm -hmm. or, if she, or if she would say, I can't, you know, whatever, whatever she was doing. Mm -hmm. I suddenly like realized I couldn't even figure out what I needed anymore in the relationship. Yeah. Like if someone asked, like if I was always catering to her needs, yeah. I would just start, I would start to forget like, well, what do I need? And right. I remember one time I even said to her, uh, and this is maybe just all very revealing. I said, I'm always, uh, you know, I was getting frame fatigue. And I said, I feel like I'm always catering to your every need. Mm -hmm. I, what, how you don't seem to, think about my needs. Mm -hmm. And she said something which is also like a frame control thing. She said, well, I don't, I, I don't have any money. And so she tried to switch it to a more of a conversation that needs were met with money. And I honestly, because I was, <laughs> yeah, it was a big red flag, of course, which is why yeah. that didn't work out. But I was so, I had been so frame fatigued. I didn't even know that I had needs that had not things yeah, to do yeah. out, outside of money. So yeah. I was just totally obliterated in frame. And it was only when I got so frame fatigued that I finally I, I realized, my gosh, I have to end this. Like, why am I just completely clueless as to what I need in out of this? Yeah. So that's a, that's a good sign. There's two good signs, I think, in relationships. And I'd like to hear yours as well, just so I don't ever lose you, honey. Uh, but I think there's two things. One is if you feel like you don't know what your needs and relationship are, I'm not saying break up, but I think you got to take a step back and really understand, maybe do a list of 10 ideas. Like what are my needs in any relationship and are they being met in this one? And another bad sign, which I remember you and I discussed this on our very first date. Another bad sign in a relationship is if you're keeping score. So mm -hmm. notice in that in the example I just gave you, yeah. I said to her, oh, I feel like I'm always keeping, you know, mm -hmm. catering to your needs and you're never catering to mine. But what I was really saying was also I'm keeping score and somehow I'm losing. And if you find yourself keeping score, yeah. um, probably the relationship is not working for you. Like I, with you, I have never said, well, you know, I did this, this, this for you, but you've only done this and this. And I don't think you've said this to no. me. Like, I don't think we keep, like sometimes it is the case that one person needs more than the other at for a while and vice versa. or something. Yeah. yeah. So I find if, 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 if all of a sudden I'm keeping score on any basis yeah. that's relationship related, then that's probably a bad sign. That's usually a sign you should break up or, yeah. or, or at least this is a person who for some reason you're, you're, it's not that the other person's toxic. You're actually, I was toxic by keeping score, but it doesn't matter. It takes two people to have a toxic relationship. So if I was feeling toxic in it, or I was feeling in a toxic way, then that's probably a bad sign. Like It's just for like boundaries, really. I mean, you allowed that other person to take over, you know, 
whatever they want. You just have to have boundaries. And yeah. you have to learn how to say, well, I can't do that right now. Or, or you know, can maybe somebody else help you? And that's that's fine. You know, sometimes I ask for help who, and you're busy. Wait, so I'm who's, who else is helping you? No, no, but you know what I mean? It's like, and, and you don't always want to be, uh, you know, lost in that person because you are an individual, I'm an individual, and these two individuals come together. And so we we shouldn't lose ourselves in each other, although we do become one and we've become, uh, so right. we work well together, but you should always be you. Yeah, so how, you would, so how would you measure, because like, I think that's a hard thing to see, how would you measure if you're getting lost well, in someone? Well, is that you're happy. All right. Really, because you're happy, you wake up happy, and you get to do things that you want to do. You're not afraid to, to say, oh, I want to go do this today or whatever. And you're not afraid of them saying, well, I don't want you to do that. Because I know you wouldn't do that. And I wouldn't do that to you. Right. Like, like, like I was always worried because I had these prior, prior examples of keeping score on both sides. I was always worried. Like you, you've gone to pretty much every single comedy event. I think you've gone to every single comedy event yeah. I've done since we met. And I always was worried that, oh, you know, you know, because then other nights we'd be tired because we would just stay out late going to a comedy. So I was always worried there was an opportunity mm -hmm. for you to keep score and say, mm -hmm. I always go to your comedy events. You don't go to anything I want to do. So I was always a little nervous, like, yeah. is she, you know, is she keeping score on this? Am I doing enough? To, to go to things she wants to go, but I don't think you ever really kept score on that. And also, you enjoy, uh, you know, I hope you enjoyed them. Yeah, but that's my choice. They're my choices to go with you. You know, you're not yeah. making me go. So if I if I tell you how uh, you make, you know, I've been going to all these, you know, shows with you, that's that's sort of in a way saying you're making me go. Yeah. You know, and you're not. No, this I never did. I always. That's right. Yeah, so it this wasn't is a big deal. That I've chosen to do. And there'll be maybe times in the future that I won't go at all. But you know, the thing is, is that... What? <laughs> oh. I think I'm doing the Hard Rock Casino here July 15th. That's unless, so cool. Unless we, um, unless, unless we but, super spread the virus. But I do want to say something about, you know, everyone said, that, you know, codependency... So let's go on to the next question. Uh, no, sorry. <laughs> you know, Everyone puts down codependency. It's like, oh, you don't want to be codependent and blah, blah, blah. But to be honest, personally, in my opinion, I think being codependent with your spouse is a great thing. And I don't mean it in a way where he makes me, if he's not happy, I'm not happy. I mean, and it is kind of true. If you're sad, I feel sad. It's not like you're, <clears throat> you know, I'm still an individual. You're still an individual individual but when you get married and you become really close to somebody you are dependent and you are co-dependent with each other well, like, what does codependent mean well i mean i think in the beginning it was a good term but then they kind of twisted it and made it into something not so good and i think it can be unhealthy uh anything good if it's if it's too much uh could be bad right so but I do feel like, you know, you see these old couples that are that have been together forever and then one dies and then the other one dies, you know, six months later. I mean, there's nothing wrong with, with being that close to somebody. It's actually wonderful. And um, but what's, what's the negative quote? <clears throat> well, the no negative, I think, would be if you're 
abusive, if one is abusive, one of the partners is abusive, and you continue to stay, you know, you don't create the boundaries or you don't stop it. And then, like, the abuse is, like, really bad. And then they come back and bring you flowers and they say they're sorry. Uh, yeah. and, then, and then again, it happens again. And then they say, oh, I'm sorry. And here's some flowers. Now, that's abuse. And, like, some people can't leave. Because it's a that's a bad codependency, I think. That's something that, you know, it's like they are afraid to leave. And and they and they they become that other person. So they can't function as an individual. I think you and I <clears throat> function as individuals, but we come together and create a more dynamic, you know, couple. It's true. That's, I think that's I, I to be honest, I think I have a tendency that I could be codependent. But well that's okay. Like like I said, being co I mean I I, I really need you to do stuff. I mean, this is something that you do for me. I do things for you that you need, but it's, <clears throat> it's a natural thing as a married couple. You know, you do count on each other and it's not a bad thing. It's just when it turns out to be harmful. Yeah. All right. Okay. And uh, we'll see. I'm going to, I'm, I'm planning on being a crack addict at some point. So we'll see how you deal with it. Um, so, uh, uh, I'll answer a question now. Uh, uh, with two million podcasts out there, why should you start your own podcast? So someone said that they were thinking of doing a podcast, but then they felt discouraged because they realized they read an article. There's two million podcasts and they thought, how could they compete? I sort of agree and sort of disagree because if you want to do a podcast, that's different than, you know, being the next Joe Rogan, having, you know, a 10 million downloads an episode podcast. So you, you, you if you want to do something, just do it. So a lot of times, remember a lot of times we'll have a friend over and the conversation will get really intense mm -hmm. and we'll think to ourselves, ugh, too bad we weren't recording this because this mm -hmm. would have been a good podcast episode. Right. So just try inviting a friend over and having a pick a topic that you feel strongly about. Like for instance, um, I always use pro-life and pro-choice as an example because that's, oh. so not only, <laughs> not only did we knock over the we IG live, but it accidentally called 911, uh -oh. but now, they're going to be calling us back. Um, no, they won't. They won't? Okay. Um, I don't know how to. Okay. See, this is, this is, he, cause he needs me to do this. this is you guys, thing. you guys stuck around. Thank you. <laughs> okay. I think that's good. Robin, right. why are you always screwing up? Yeah, I know. Sorry. No, you just let me take the frame there. You can't. Yeah. No, I didn't. I okay. didn't okay. defend myself. I'm going to give a, <laughs> I'm going to give another, I'm going to give another, <laughs> I'm going to give another frame control technique. Okay. So I did that one as an example. Yeah. I was just incredibly rude to Robin. Uh -huh. I said, and I ignored you. I said, no, you defended yourself. No, I said, I'm sorry. <laughs> you said, I didn't do it. No, I did. So, I said, I'm sorry. All right. Well, <laughs> here's the good technique, but that doesn't, that's so the problem is not whether you did it or not. The problem is I was rude. So never use the word I when someone is a good persuasion technique. Never use the word I when someone else is rude. So if I'm rude to Robin, like, mm -hmm. you know, why are you always screwing up? She said, I'm sorry, which is the opposite. Oh, because it was my fault. <laughs> but what you could say is, why do you always get angry over small things? So you could have, you could have 
Oh, that's not Because, like, I was inappropriately rude and angry over something small. Yeah, but it was small, and so why would you do that? No, but you could say. You, that, I'm just saying, if you... If I was a... Just a general technique. Yeah, that's right. If someone is rude to you, mm -hmm. don't say I. Just throw it back at them. Like, why are you angry? Why are you always yeah. you overreacting on small things? So don't use the word I. Just keep keep the context in with their pronoun instead of you... Inheriting the context because right. it's a rude context. Uh -huh. if, if I could, if I said to you instead, "Hey, so this doesn't happen again. Here's what we should maybe do." Mm -hmm. That's a more polite response to, right. to this. But anyway, we 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 flipped over the camera just to provide that example. Um, so with two million podcasts, don't worry so much about competition because there are podcasts that started up in the past six months that are enormous, huge podcasts. So uh, the key thing with anything is it's just like copywriting. Figure out what's an earth, you know, what is the, figure out who are you, why are you, why now? So for instance, my podcast, uh, The James Altucher Show, I have experience in many different fields. I've written a bunch of books. I started a bunch of different businesses. So I have a kind of range of experience, different, and I've also interviewed hundreds of people even before I started the podcast. So I have a range of skills and experiences. Why am I? I'm someone who's very interested in how other people achieve peak performance. So I'm always interested in trying to, whatever interest I switch to, I switch interests a lot. And the problem when you switch interests a lot is that you have to, what I call skip the line. You have to get really good really fast because I'm over 50 years old, if it's gonna take me 10,000 hours to get good at something, it's not worth it for me to switch right. interests. So I'm, so why are, why me? I'm, you should go on my podcast because I'm gonna really, or you should listen to my podcast because I'm really obsessed with peak performance, learning things really quickly and, and monetizing them. And why now? Well, it's been going on for a long time, but like particularly right now, a lot of people were, were about to go through what I call the Great Reset, which is the entire world is going to shift interests, careers, passions, yeah. the way they monetize, and so on. So why now? This is a really good time to figure out how to achieve peak performance. So so first, if you're going to start a podcast or write a book or, or do whatever, do stand-up comedy, ask yourself, who are you? Why are you? Why now? Then and why are you doing it? No, I'm just joking. <laughs> the you can ask that too. So see, I said I kept it with you. Uh, I always ask that. Why? So goddamn rude how you interrupted me. Uh, uh, the other thing is, again, the, the rules of copywriting. I hate to call it copywriting because they're kind of good questions to ask in general about anything you do. What's what's unique about you know, what you're offering. If you're just gonna do another interview podcast, like here's a problem that a lot of podcasts have, is that we all get a list every month of all the authors who are putting, um, who are publishing books in the next month. And those authors are gonna go on 20 podcasts, and that's fine. But if you're gonna have just a normal interview podcast, you're not gonna be better than most of the other interview podcasts that have been ongoing and who you're just gonna get the same guests as every other interview podcast, so you're not gonna be unique. So, you know, one area to be unique is, uh, you know, study in depth a true crime story. So like, 
you know how there was this Netflix special about Ted Bundy, a Netflix series about Ted Bundy uh, a couple of months ago. Uh, you know, people love true crime stories. People love serial type stories. So tell a true crime story or tell or do or or right now, like, you know, do really in-depth stuff about the election or do a podcast like a mini series podcast about pandemics, the history of right. pandemics. You know, like pick a unique area like Dan Carlin. He does the, the amazingly popular podcast, Hardcore History. So he he doesn't have a PhD. He, when, when someone first suggested his mother first suggested him mm-hmm. do a podcast already, like we're sick of hearing you talk about history at the dinner table. And he's like, I can't do a podcast. I don't have a PhD in history. And but he decided to choose himself. You don't need a PhD. Remember what I said yesterday. Skills are more important than degrees. So he was a great storyteller mm-hmm. and he takes months researching every aspect of some obscure but important part of history. And he thinks of all the right. Remember, a story is not a list of facts. A story is an unraveling of questions that may, you know, that, that there's a reason why I'm telling this story. There's a reason why the events got worse and worse and worse and what happened afterwards. There's a reason why that story came to an end. So Dan, listen to a hardcore history podcast and it's so comprehensive and it's so interesting. Even if he's talking about an obscure battle from 4,000 years ago, he finds a way to relate it to what's happening now because people are not listening to your podcast to hear about those events 4,000 years ago. They're listening to hear more about what they can learn from this, what they, how they become better. They want to be better. They don't want to just know about a list of facts. They want their lives to be better. So figure out how you can be unique. Anybody starting today can start a podcast that will instantly catapult them to the top. Do a podcast about conspiracy theories, like obscure, weird conspiracy theories. Do a podcast, you know, so the the Tinfoil Hat podcast is this great podcast about conspiracy theories. Or Tim Dillon's podcast, a great podcast about everything from Jeffrey Epstein to, you know, Bill Clinton to the elections to this, that. He's just... He's just uh, uh, insane. So I'll, I'll, actually, I'll point out something about, I always get a, a unique perspective. So Tim Dillon, I highly encourage listening to his podcast. It's, it's one of the few podcasts I listen to. I was listening to him today and he brought up an interesting thing, which is that um, I guess there's this Netflix show, Big Mouth. You know, hit a, a like if you, if you watch that show. So it's an animated show. And uh, the actress, Jenny Slate, who uh, says she quit being one of the voices on the show because she was playing the character of a half Jewish, half black character. And she said uh, actresses should no longer play uh, African-Americans if they're not African-American. So Tim Dillon was making fun of that. He's a comedian. And he was uh, and he thought that that was insane for her to say and he said if you want to if you want to respond you can't this is actually a good frame control technique again mm-hmm. he said specifically you can't um argue against a woke comment like that what you have to do is you have to out woke the woke so <laughs> so he basically started screaming like you know we need we need to cancel netflix Like Netflix allowed this show to go on. We need to cancel all television and Jenny Slate and every other actor who's ever, you know, played a race that wasn't their own needs to be put up 
against a military tribunal and be sentenced to, you know, you can't, you can't leave off the table sentencing this person to death. Like that has to be in, you know, in the cards for this military tribunal. So he's just going on and on out woking the woke, which brings me by the way, to the BS headline of the day. Okay. Yes, it's totally true. Airbnb has changed my life. If anything, they have made my life so much better. Like I used to live in Airbnbs. I, I lived in over 100 or 200 different Airbnbs over a three-year period, and I loved it. I, loved, I became a really good guest of Airbnbs, and I got to know lots of hosts. So when I initially owned a house, I, of course, the first thing I thought was, I'm going to turn my house into an Airbnb because I travel a lot. So why leave my house unused when I can make a side income by letting others Airbnb my house or come to stay in my house as guests? And having my own Airbnb or, or being a host for Airbnb has allowed me to do just that. And I've met other hosts. I've actually spoken at Airbnb's host conference. I think it was in 2017. I met so many just nice hosts. It's a great community. And I love, you know, turning my own home into an Airbnb. Like I'm traveling to Austin next month. My home's going to be an Airbnb while I'm away. And I'll stay in an Airbnb. I'd rather stay in like a three story house Airbnb than in one tiny hotel room in, in the middle of Austin during South by Southwest. So listen, while you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. Many people host on Airbnb, but there are people who are just letting their house sit empty, who've never thought about it or didn't realize their space could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra money. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, then you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I remember last year I was asked to go speak at the Norway Business Summit, and I was so excited because side by side with the Business Summit was the Norway Chess Summit, where I would get to see in person Magnus Carlsen, the best chess player ever, playing chess. But it was four plane rides like to get to the city that ultimately I would go to. So I really did not want to fly for 14 hours, and they, they were willing to pay for everything for me. So... I, I, at first class. So I didn't want to fly for 14 hours and not be first class. So I had to hurry up and get on the phone immediately to get those first class tickets to a chess tournament in Norway. And listen, this is just like when, you know, you have to know when you want the best of anything, you have to act quickly or someone else will get it instead. And I did not want those seats to fill up. So it's like if you're hiring for your business, you want to find the most talented people for your open roles before the competition scoops them up. I just was talking to a friend this morning where he was trying to decide between some programmers and he waited a little too long and both the programmers he was interviewing took other jobs, like great jobs. So, you know, what's the best way then to hire the best as quickly as possible? ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter finds qualified candidates fast. And right now you could try it for free 
at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Just try it and see. You'll, you'll find out. So ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology takes center stage to identify the top talent for your roles. Immediately after you post your job, ZipRecruiter's smart technology starts showing you qualified people for it. And I know this because one time I signed up as an employee, potential employee on ZipRecruiter, and I got nonstop Really, I was, even though obviously I wasn't looking for a job, I love what I do, but I just wanted to see what would happen because they were a, a, a sponsor of my podcast. And the most interesting jobs would pop up in my emails like, hey, you're qualified for this or that. And so it's interesting to see. So just just go there and try it. Try ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Amp up your hiring performance. Now this is more for if you're hiring, but amp up your hiring performance with ZipRecruiter and find the best fast. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address right now to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. There was an article, I think I deleted it somewhere. Oh wait, no, here's the article. Uh, it's time, here's the BS headline of the day. It's time to let classical music die. Wow. And the, the argument of this person, uh, Nabal Maysad, is that classical music is completely racist and is created by, you know, the white oppressors, which, you know, classical music is mostly from Europe, so I guess you would say all the Europeans are white. That doesn't quite ring true, but uh, that's just ridiculous. So, because first off, first off, classical music has, there's, there's no, there's nothing to do with being white. It's like, you know, every part of the world has different styles of music. So right. if you're from India, right. there's, there's, there's not like um, octaves, and chords, like in classical music, there are these things called ragas that are the way that in, sometimes you hear someone singing an Indian song, it like wavers and quivers around. Uh, that's a completely different style uh, and different instruments and everything than European classical music. So you, you can learn music theory from studying classical music. There's a, lot, there's a lot of beautiful pieces that have nothing to do with race or whatever. I don't know of any that have anything to do with race. And has this person listened to rap music? I mean, <laughs> rap music, and by the way, I love rap music. I do too. I love every aspect of rap right. music. And there's very I like few- African music too. I like the drumming and you know, we took drumming and stuff when we were there. I don't Right, but is but, that well, bad? but but no, but what I'm saying is so so okay, that's a different topic, which is yeah, but the whole, it's making the, whole me- the whole myth of cultural appropriation, which is just ridiculous. But uh rap music is the most sexist, misogynistic, mm-hmm. racist 
I mean, if you listen, doesn't matter who is doing the rap music. It is racist against every race possible. It is racist against, it's sexist against women. It's sexist against men. It's, it's, it's all about, you know, it's not all of it. Some of it's about materialism, like over materialism, like rap music. If you listen to the lyrics, often it's funny, but it, you know, you know, like, like we were watching on a video yesterday, yeah. good rule of thumb when when you're pulled over by the police, if you're an African American, don't be playing um, NWA's, you know, fuck the police when you're pulled over really loudly. Matter, I don't think, it doesn't matter what color you are, you shouldn't be playing that. Yeah, you probably should be playing that if you're pulled over by the police, whether you're white or black or Chinese. Polite, even yeah. no matter what race you are. Rule number one, don't play the, <laughs> that rap song when the police are walking up to your car. So. To the idea that uh, classical music is somehow racist and should be canceled, you might as well just say all music should be canceled. We're going to outwoke the woke. Like, so by the way, it is a frame control technique, broaden the frame. So if someone says, I'll give it, I'll give another example. If someone says we shouldn't allow immigration because uh, it takes jobs away from Americans, mm -hmm. you could say, you, you could broaden the frame and you could say, what what do these borders mean? Like these borders are so arbitrary. Like why is Canada a separate country from the US? Why is France a separate country from Belgium? Like, you know, the whole concept of, of borders is a fiction anyway. So why do we really care? Uh, and, and how many people really find life satisfaction getting like factory jobs in Detroit? Like let mm -hmm. other people have those jobs if, you know, that's not really what will protect American jobs. So you can broaden the frame. And so Tim Dillon's suggestion of outwoking the woke is an example of broadening the frame. But if someone says, let classical music die because it's racist, you might as well just cancel all music because that is just yeah. ridiculous. Um, that's the BS headline of the day. That's really amazing. I don't even have a- Like how far does it go? Um, well, okay. Let, let's just talk about cultural appropriation for a second, because you said you like African drumming, and I know yeah. at times our kids have wondered out loud whether that's cultural appropriation. And uh, it's such a classic example. And, and by the way, I'm not, I don't mean to pick on Democrats here. I'll pick on Republicans too. Um, but Nancy Pelosi and all, and oh, Chuck Schumer and all the congressional I, leaders were wearing the, uh, what's it called, the kente cloth from yeah. Ghana, and they were, yeah. and, and... And I said that too, I was like, oh my God, they're wearing an Ashanti, you know, cloth, and the Ashanti... you lived in Ghana. I lived in Ghana, so I know all about this tribe, but they're the gold tribe, and they are the most aggressive, and actually, they were the ones that rounded up and, and um, you know, uh, all the other tribes and to sell, you know, them to the, you know, the, the, so, so, other, so basically England this, England and, and, you know, yes, yeah, so basically the scarf that Nancy Pelosi was wearing. Right? I couldn't and believe Schumer, that they chose that. They were wearing the scarf specifically of a tribe in Ghana that is known for being the ones who kidnapped Yes. all the people from the other tribes and then sold them into slavery. That's right. So they were wearing the scarves of the slave sellers. Remember me? I, yeah. I'm like, I can't believe and, it. And so I, I don't know if they apologized, but I, they did realize they that later. Impressive. But you would think that it, 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 this whole pandemic has kind of underlined how many people with, you know, smart, high IQ people, because you, you have to admit, every, every, most people, not everybody, but most people in really high positions of government 
no matter how much you hate them, no matter how much you think they're idiots, you gotta have some IQ to uh, get reelected 20 times in a row like Nancy Pelosi and, and you know, Diplomat the reason she's Speaker of the House is because she's so diplomatic and she was able to, you know, cater to the needs of, you know, the 450 or so other uh, congressmen, 430 other congressmen. So, you know, you can't be a total idiot. And yet what this pandemic reminds me is that many, many people I've seen, like Einstein level IQs, have been so stupid about other things. Like everybody who's been an expert, you have to actually really, even if you're talking to an epidemiologist, they might be an expert in how one cell attaches to another cell, but when you ask them also to do data modeling and start projecting how many deaths there are going to be, they're, they're no better than a 10th a, a, a grader who took a statistics class. That's what we realized in this pandemic. Or, or you know, I've talked to many doctors who are really good at XYZ, you know, what they specifically got their PhD in, and but then when you ask them, I mean, I even talked to an economist who said, oh no, the country can handle two years of, you know, the Federal Reserve and the government bailing everyone out. Are you kidding me? The country couldn't even handle three months of that. Like, there's been so much chaos and unrest and 40 million layoffs and miles and miles of food lines and the bureaucracy couldn't figure out how to get people the, the money. Finally, by the way, uh, Trump, I think, said yesterday, which is what I've been, we've been talking about on this podcast for so long, is that finally he starts saying, he said finally yesterday, there will be more direct stimulus directly to people. And this is the one thing I've been like, I even wrote emails to all sorts of people in the Trump administration, like you had, and I've outlined the economics, you have to give directly to people if you wanted to hit the economy, particularly if you wanted to hit the economy by November. So, uh, and by the way, I'm completely, completely not political. On a local level, I'm a little more political because that's where you start seeing real, you know, things affect your life. But the only thing, there's not very many things a president can do that's going to affect your life. If you really want change, focus on the, the local level, which is why we, we, you know, we like Eric Adams, the Brooklyn Borough President. He's been on my podcast two or three times, and um, he's, the, uh, he's running for mayor next year, 22 years on the police force, African-American guy, great vegan, which I don't approve of. I think he's overdoing it, but whatever. Um, but yeah, cultural appropriation. I think it's only cultural appropriation if you have no clue what you're doing and you're using it to pander to people to get votes. <laughs> or to get people to like you somehow. I have a funny story. Like when we lived in Ghana, um, the Black Caucus came and my friend- The Black US. Yeah, the US Black Caucus came to uh, Ghana and to look to go through a tour of all the, you know, the slave castles and such. And my one of my very good friends from the State Department, she was the one, she was like their handlers. You know, whenever the president would come, she, you know, took care of them. So she took them around to all these castles. Do you remember? So these were all congressmen, right? It was the congressional It was Jesse Jackson. It was, you know, uh, Al Sharpton. It was Jesse Jackson's son. It was, I, you know, some other people. I don't know, six or seven. I, I, I don't really know how many. But she was telling me this story. She said she took them to the castle, and they were so excited. I guess this was the first time. This was in, like, 2006 or seven or whatever. And... She says that they were so excited to see these people. And they're like, hey, brother, how are you doing? 
and they started calling them Obroni, go back home, Obroni, you know, and that Obroni means um, white man in Twi. They speak Twi. Well, they speak like 4,000 languages so, there, but, you know, it's, and so they were, they did not accept them. Okay, but let me ask you a question. It's not necessarily... So they went home, they went home like five days early. They were supposed to be there a week, and they were so upset that they, they left. But why didn't the people in Ghana accept them? Not that they should say, hey, you're one of us, but why weren't they these friendly? the conditions of these people there, okay, is very bad. And they're just working there in in these castles, just taking tours. And here, these people from the U.S. come that are African-American. And they're They're all millionaires. And they're like, hey, brother. And they're like, no, you've got it made in the U.S. You know, we, we don't. So you're like the white man. You know, that's what he said. That's what they said. And Beth Ann, I mean, she told me everything and it was crazy. Well, uh, and they were very, very upset. That reminds me, like if a, if a Jewish person goes to Israel though, Israel's very upset. But I guess though Israel has only existed as a nation. It's not like a whole continent. It's not like the Israelis have been there for a billion years. Yeah. You know, you, like, so it's a little different, I guess. Yes. Oh yeah. And I mean, because the conditions of the people, the Ghanaians, it's, it's so terrible. You know, and, um, but, but, you know, and by the way, but that, that, that reminds me because it always, you know, people are always saying, oh, you know, this type of person should live here. This type of person should live there. And I was just reading about something we talked about this the other day called, uh, uh, the great U S sort, how, how the U S has been sorting itself over the past 10, 20 years. Uh, like liberals have moved to one state, conservatives have moved to another state. Every, the U S has been doing this massive sort. Mm-hmm. So people with similar beliefs moved to some to the same areas, and that wasn't always like that. And, you know, and sometimes they they make those, they're kind of insane, the suggestions, but sometimes they make those suggestions about race or about religion or whatever. But what do you think of this idea? And I, I've had this discussion on, on some, some other podcasts, but what about the idea of going, you know, basically taking over Montana and going to Hong Kong and saying, hey, everybody in Hong Kong right now you get a free visa and automatic citizenship if you move to, I don't know, St. Helena, Montana. Like, don't you think that would be like the most amazing, well, like that, that city will become the most amazing city in the world? Well, it would, but I mean, the whole thing about Hong Kong is, it's just, it's Hong Kong. And that's like the center of the world. Yeah, so, so but, but Hong Kong's getting canceled by China, basically. Yeah, I, I understand. I don't, I don't know. Like if, like, if I was going to make any bet at all, I would bet completely against the Hong Kong currency. I think they, they have the Hong Kong dollar, right? They have a different currency. Yeah. That's going to zero. So, so what if you just went to everybody in Hong Kong, and you could limit it. You could say everybody in Hong Kong, I don't know, with a college degree, even though I don't think highly of college degrees, you could have some artificial, you know, sorting. And you can say anyone is allowed to bring their family, we'll pay for the flights, could all settle down in St. Helens or Helena, whatever, uh, Montana, and knock yourself out. I don't know. These people are used to urban situations. Oh, they'll be urban though, because all a million people will come over. It's going to take a long time to create that. That's okay. Just, uh, I'm just saying that's, to make the U.S. Unless better. Unless the Chinese build it, it'll happen in like three months. No. <laughs> well, because I was at, one time I was at a networking party and, and uh, there was all these like high power people there. And like, I don't know why I said this. Uh, we were going around. Everybody had to give an opinion about something. And I, in my opinion, I just didn't have one. So I said the, the first thing that came to my mind, which is that we should 
you know, there are so many problems in the Middle East because Israel's there. Like we could solve a problem in a single second if we just say everybody in Israel should move to Wyoming. We'll make, we'll call Wyoming, we'll rename Wyoming New Israel. And sorry, everybody from Wyoming, all four people from Wyoming, sorry about this. We'll move everybody from Israel to New Israel in Wyoming. And then the U.S. will just be the, you know, the smartest because all the Israelites are the scientists yeah. and stuff like that. We'll just, you know, we'll solve a problem in the Middle East. We'll, we'll, we'll solve a problem. We'll force everybody in Israel to work on, like, all these tech, tech innovations. What do you yeah, think that idea? I don't think they would go for that because it's all holy land there. Well, why, you're saying Wyoming's not holy? There's the no, but they have Jackson Hole. The there's the Grand Teton Mountains. There's a, a Yellowstone National Park. That's, yeah, but that's, that's holy, holy land. land. For the, you know, the native you know, Americans, not for, you know, the, 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 what were Christians, the Muslim, you know, uh, the, I'm just Jewish. saying it'll solve, it'll completely in one, in one go, it'll that. solve all of the Middle East and it'll also make the U S a better place. And by the way, it'll solve all the problems for the Israelis. They don't have to be yeah. like in the army all the time. I don't think they'd like it. Maybe. They're all in a desert now, and so maybe it's too cold. It's beautiful in there, because the water is blue, it's gorgeous I'm in just, that area. I'm just saying, I'm, you gotta think out of the box sometimes. <laughs> like, we're just coming up with solutions, we're asking the questions. But it is, I, I think that's a, that is a good idea, you know, so, there's a lot of ideas. Here's a podcast, call it Out of the Box, and every episode, <laughs> every episode come up with the most insane that's, solution to the world's problems that you could possibly weird. have. That's your podcast. Okay, what would be like a, a completely insane solution to the virus, the pandemic? Um, I don't know. Well, okay, there's two solutions. There's two solutions. There's two insane solutions. One is completely mask. No, completely locked down, and you're not allowed to leave your room for just three weeks. So everybody on the planet, if they simply did not leave their room for three weeks, you you have to buy all the food in advance. There's no deliveries. There's no essential workers. You close all the hospitals. Everything is closed for three weeks mm -hmm. because the virus only lives for three weeks, three or four weeks. Mm -hmm. And so, so anybody who's going to die of it, they're just going to die in their room by themselves. And mm -hmm. everyone who's going to starve is just going to starve. Uh, but then if you do that for three weeks, the entire the coronavirus is eliminated from the planet. So that's an out-of-the-box solution. Okay. All right. Uh, <laughs> Well, it is. That's the ignore frame technique. You know what's weird is that there are still like 300 people that are stuck on a ship. Really? Oh, I was going to look that up. That's funny you bring that up. Yeah. And yeah I, so I was wondering about that. Because I know Trump had them, a lot of them, you know, disembark here. Uh, but apparently these are people from other countries that they're not taking care of their people. How, how are they getting food? I don't know. It must be like airdropped by Maybe. a helicopter or something. Yeah. Man, can you imagine... Cruise, or they're just going on a cruise is so awful oh anyway. God. Like, oh, like, like you have to learn people. like shuffleboard and then you just stand online at these buffets, like hour after hour of buffet. And then oh. it's just so like you see the time when the plumbing didn't work on this one cruise line and everybody's cabin was flooded with like shit water. Like, oh, those cruises were oh. disgusting. Imagine being on a cruise for six months, for the past six months. Anyway, and what if you don't like? What if you don't like the other people on the cruise? Talk about like quarantine. Yeah. Um, so the answer is you should start a podcast. Uh, <laughs>
Oh, okay. So now I want to talk about, uh, uh, oh, no, I have another question. Um, what is a trustable news source right now? Um, without, because right now, if you read, let's say, I always make fun of CNN, but you know, someone says to me, why don't you talk about, if you read Fox News, that's biased. If you read MSNBC, that's biased. The New York Times is biased. They admit now they're biased, by the way, because it used to be the business model was come up with the best new journalism, but they're not really journalists anymore. They're just, entertainers. They're, they're, yeah, they're just repeating the opinions of, I mean, they're kind of summarizing yeah. the opinions of their opinions. class <laughs> and and then they're, uh, uh, and then, and so you, so this person saying, I always have to double check the facts. Well, he, here's the answer. There is no reliable news source. It's just yeah. not. Yeah, because everyone has an agenda. But the, I think the better uh, ones to, to look at are the ones that are outside of the U.S. because it's not part of the propaganda. Although they, they are a little bit, but I think they're less likely you know, when, when they're outside of the U.S. Because it's hard to say, though, because... the U.S., it's very, I don't know, it's just so... Because the Guardian in England and the Daily Mail, they're biased. Yeah, but that's they, almost you, like the U.S. They're either Democrat or Republican. Like I said, I always go to Al Jazeera, or I go as far away as I can, you know, to see what their their news... So you read but the, the newspapers... B- but I don't read newspapers, but the BBC, like, even CNN overseas is different than the CNN here. Which oh, yeah? Which is interesting. All yeah. right. All right, but I would say I like BBC too. I I would say so. So until this pandemic started, from 2010 to March 2020, yeah, I did not read the news ever. I would never go to a news website. I never. I, I I used to pick up like 2005. I used to pick up every single day. I would read the New York Post, the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, and the Financial Times, and the, and the Financial Times and the Wall Street Journal. I even wrote columns for and. I would read those every day, cover to cover. It is so stupid and useless. Like, you don't learn anything new. Yeah. By the time something's on the front page of the Wall Street Journal, it's it's old news. Um, and, and now, of course, you just get opinions. But from 2010 to, 20, to March 2020, I refused to read any news site, anything. And people would say to me, how do you get your news? Mm-hmm. And the answer is, if something's in the news, it's not like I'm going to be not hear about it. Like, let's say the U.S. is being attacked by China with, with nuclear bombs. Mm-hmm. You're going to tell me, hey, guess what? We're about to be attacked with nuclear weapons. Mm-hmm. Okay, now I know the news because yes. things that are important, you will get to know. Like in 2008, uh, I would ask, you know, my, my friends were constantly talking about, you know, Barack Obama versus John McCain. Mm-hmm. So people would, I would say, well, what does this person believe? What does this person believe? And then I'd, I'd get... Anything that was important enough that my friends knew, I would get the information whether I wanted to or not. So then I would have an extra hour or two hours a day, two hours a day to read history books or Mm -hmm. to read nonfiction books that I actually would learn something new so that when I hear news, I can interpret it better. Because you can't just blindly following the news, you have zero ability to interpret it. You have to have intelligence from other sources mm-hmm. so you could do idea sex with the news right. so that you could then un- help under you know you read the high, highest quality books and then it gives you a, an arsenal to interpret whatever is important news now and news is not important like you know like there's all these headlines that now that i've been reading the news since the pandemic started there's all these headlines like you know uh you know look look what look at what you know you know or it would be something like 
Charlie's Angels, the three actresses who played Charlie's Angels were ama looked amazing in the 1970s. You wouldn't believe what they look like now. Yeah. Uh, and then I'm always clicking on it, and it's a, <laughs> and it's a, it's a, a, what do you call it? A, where, uh, a, a, no, 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 a, no, no, one page at a time. I'm oh, forgetting. Right. Um, I know. Anyway, I have to click through 40 pages, and they'll never even get to yeah. Charlie's Angels, like Jacqueline Smith. I'm just curious what she looks like now, or Kate Jackson, yeah. whatever her name was. And, uh, uh, or, or they'll have, uh, you know, but anyway, I always get into these clickbait articles too for at least 15 minutes now. So the news is bad. Read great article, read great, uh, books that have withstood the test of time. Like read, I don't know. I could list a whole bunch of books, but, or you read like novels too. I read novels for other purposes, but I'll read nonfiction books to understand mm -hmm. how to interpret the news now because history doesn't repeat, but it rhymes is the famous quote. So I want to learn the rhyming that, you know, so consequently, when they talk about bailouts, I'm able to say, well, this is what they did in 1930. This is what they did in 1965. This is what they did in 1974. This is what they did in 2009. I'm able to have a historical context right. to interpret the news. And that's so much better than just yeah. reading something without knowing anything without and then opinions. making an opinion about it based on what this reporter who doesn't know it. And by the way, because I wrote for all these papers, and I've been on every news show on, on television. I can tell you, those people do not know anything about anything. You know, it's interesting. If you go back and you watch Walter Cronkite or any of those old from the 70s, I mean, that was just pure news. No opinions, no nothing. He just told you what was going on. I don't understand why we can't just get that. Because they, because they need, they, they need don't get more pages. Ratings. Well, it, I'll, I'll tell you. Is that what it is? I don't yeah, know yeah, I because look at, look, at, look at Twitter. If you look at my most popular tweets on Twitter, it's always because I don't even know when I'm being polarizing, but somehow or other I'll make tweets that'll either polarize the, you know, the left or polarize the right. Mm -hmm. And suddenly I'll get like thousands of retweets and thousands of new followers. Mm -hmm. So there's a benefit to being, to being polarized one way or the other, but I'm centrist or I don't, I'm a, I'm a non-carist. So it kind of limits the uh, popularity on Twitter. If I really wanted to be like super popular on, on Twitter, for instance, mm -hmm. I would take a huge stance, like a Ben Shapiro size stance mm -hmm. or an alt left size stance. And I would probably double my Twitter's over followers overnight, but I don't want to do that because I think that is so silly to be yeah. so opinionated and, and, and polarized. Right. I have an idea. You said, you know, what can we do about the, the virus, you know, to make, I think that maybe instead of just being in our rooms for three weeks, I think maybe if we all just not watch any news for three weeks. I, that's probably a good idea. Or, or, or six weeks and let them all go under. I, I think that's a good idea because, <laughs> like for instance, you and read just the news. citizen journalists. Yeah, like, like every day now, we're in Florida, every day now you read like in the news, uh, oh, Florida cases at all time high. Who cares? Like now I say that I'm not being insensitive to the virus. I have a cousin. I've mentioned this yesterday. I have a cousin lives a few miles away from here, like about 30 or 40 miles away from here, who is on a ventilator right now because of coronavirus. And, uh, yesterday they were, the ventilator was giving him 80% of his oxygen. Um, last night they had to give him Plasma. I forgot to mention this to you. I, they have to give him plasma, and the vent he's still on the ventilator. So we'll see what happens. So I'm not being incentive to the virus, but when you see a headline that just says, "Oh, you know, cases at an all-time high," you have to ask, 
what's the demographics? Is are the cases among 15 year olds? Is the cases among 30 year olds? Is it asymptomatic? Is it what is the number of new hospitalizations? Are we still flattening the curve, which is our healthcare facilities, you know, overly occupied? Like we go out and socially distance and we wear masks. Like I'm not, I'm not trying to like, when you read your, you make a good point that when you read the news, it makes you, it makes me, me anxious. angry. It makes me afraid too. Yeah. And it makes me anxious and all those things are bad for the immune system. And so you're more likely to get the virus. Like anxiety is significantly bad for the immune system. So it's not a good, it's not a bad out of the box solution. I I approve. Another one is simply just all, everybody just spitting on each other. And then whoever's going to die is going to die in four weeks. And then the rest (laughs) of the world has herd immunity and boom, three out of the box solutions on coronavirus. But it's terrible though that how a lot of people live in fear. You know, I don't want to live in fear. And I don't want my kids to live in fear. Yeah. And so just like, I'm not letting this virus stop us from doing anything. I mean, we decided, okay, we're going to come here. We came here. We're, we're wearing our masks. We're distancing. We're, you know, so it's like we're living our life. No, that's what, that, I think that's, that's great. And that's what I love about you is that you're so independent. For me, I'm different a little bit, which is that this lockdown is actually my ideal lifestyle. I no longer have to when I meet people, because I meet people now on Zoom, I no longer have to look people in the eye, which is something I never really liked doing before, because you can't look at the camera, you're looking at the person, so you're not looking at them in the eye. I no longer have to shake hands with anybody. Uh, I, I, hate, I hate that, because I hug people, and you know, I just can't. Ugh. And I, like, like then you, you, like when I meet, uh, uh, let's say we meet a couple for dinner, um, you know, uh, like single people date single people, couples date couples. <laughs> And, but when you meet a couple for dinner, oh, I got to shake the hand of the guy. And sometimes it's the bro hug. And then with the woman, um, do you shake hands? Do you do the one kiss? Do you do the two kisses? Maybe, I think some coaches have three kisses. Like how many kisses do I have to do with this person? I'm suddenly I'm making out with somebody. Like, I don't want to have to like figure out it what to do. Depends on what country. Some, some yeah, it's, I don't have to, I don't want to figure it out. And okay, anyway. This is a long answer to what is a trusted news source? Nothing. Read a book. That's it. Um, what do you think about? Oh, so here's a question. What do you think about video essays as a form of education? Oh, I, I think, love that. Yeah, I think it's great. So you look at a, a there's, there's um, first off, uh, you know, there's plenty of online learning sites like Coursera where most of the courses are taught via video. So before the book Sapiens by Yuval Harari came out, I took his course on Coursera. There was no reading material and he was just, it was just him. It was weird. It was, it was him and he has a super heavy Israeli accent. It's like almost like couldn't, like I could barely understand him. And he was just sitting on a white chair with a white background. Like it was the weirdest thing. And he's just, and he's just talking for like an hour and a half and there was like 18 classes, but I loved it. Like, so, so yeah. And then there's a, there's a company called Howcast. They're, They're on, you can search for Howcast on YouTube. They have video essays about billions of things and uh, they get tens of millions of views. So that's a good business and it's a good way to learn. So there's another one, um, I think it's watchmojo.com is a video essay company, uh, but I think it's a great idea. So uh, for both from a learning perspective and from a yeah. business perspective. Because a lot of people learn that way. They learn visually and by auditory. So to have both is good. Yeah, I was just reading about that. Like. Um, I was, I was reading like a training guide for salespeople at car dealerships mm. and they're taught, you know, 
listen to how the, per the customer talks to you. Um, if the customer says, I see that you have a bunch of uh, cars on discount here, mm -hmm. that means they're visual. So start showing them visually uh, what's in the cars. Mm -hmm. If they say, um, uh, uh, I hear what you're saying, but I think this, that means they're, mm -hmm. they learn audit from a more yeah. audio. Mm -hmm. So then you could kind of say, uh, I don't know, maybe you could, uh, yeah, we'll no, check out the true. car radio. It's great. Like, right. I don't know. So that's why if you offer the visual and the auditory at the same time, you're getting both audiences. Yeah. So I wanted to, um, come up with a few, we only have one minute and 47 seconds left. Oh okay. Goodness. Here's what I'm going to talk about tomorrow. Um, uh, or, or, or Monday. I don't know. Sure. We might have to see tomorrow. But okay. tomorrow I, I'm going to share my idea list of the day. I, I came up with an idea list, uh, uh, whatever idea list I come up with that day, I'm going to share how I do an idea list. I'm going to talk more about persuasion. I'm going to talk about four different business models that only were created because of, uh, the coronavirus. And I think these are all going to be huge multi-million dollar businesses if you start them right now. So that's the next uh, Q&A podcast. Enjoy, ask us questions or suggest topics, by the way, at 203-590-8607. Also, we would love if you have feedback. I know there's probably feedback here and we'll check that out, but I would love if you text me some feedback, 203-590-8607, just so we know if we should continue doing those, these or what topics you would like or what topics are your favorite. Talk to you soon. Bye. Goodbye. That was good. Yeah. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.